Spirit-filled relationships. Three words. When you hear those words, what do you think of? Spirit-filled relationships. You see the last one and you go, I know what relationships look like in my life. I have friends. I have um, parents or grandparents at homes or guardians. I have teachers. I have um, siblings. I have a boyfriend, a girlfriend maybe. It's relationships. But the first two, do you understand what that means? To be spirit-filled. Micah alluded to it last week, and I hope you remember it. We're going to jump back. This is not on your outline. Just look on the screen. In chapter 5, verse 15, Paul says, So be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but live like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Don't be drunk with wine. Here it is, students, because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit, singing psalms and hymns, hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves and making music to the Lord in your hearts. Students, did we just not do that? When you've been changed by the grace of God, you can turn on the radio to a secular radio station and you can sing a song. When your heart's been changed by God, you don't sing, you worship. When you realize where you've been, and where you are now. A spirit-filled life does what? Singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves, making music to the Lord in your hearts, and give thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And further, here it is. Micah introduced this topic last week. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So you're filled with the Spirit. You're new. Remember, this is a letter written, written to a church, right? So a church is filled with what? Believers, men and women in Christ, and you're going to see that he addresses children in this letter, which means what? That this letter would have been read aloud at, to a church, and there would have been teenagers and children there listening to it. And he says what? Don't be drunk with wine, because that will ruin your life. Look at me. Let me be the first one to tell you. It's ruined my life a bunch of times. And I'm, I'm surprised I'm standing here on this stage. Because for a long time, KB would do that to numb the pain of his life until I met Jesus, and then I did this. I was filled with the Holy Spirit. Changed my life forever. Now what do you do? When you're changed by that, when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, look at 21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Praise be to God. Write this down. A Spirit-filled life is completely submitted to God's word so that he can fill me and flow through me to others. A spirit-filled life is completely submitted to God's word so that he can fill me and flow through me to others. Paul tells this church, you've been changed by the grace of God. You've been filled with the Holy Spirit. Do you guys understand what that means? This is a difficult concept, so track with me. When you accept Jesus as your Savior, when your sin lands on you, and you come to faith in Jesus, you are immediately indwelt with the Holy Spirit. It's one of those mysteries of the faith that, man, here's what you need to understand. is the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. They are three. It's a being. It's not some mystical force. Jesus lives inside of me, and if you're a Christian, he lives inside of you. Now, I know that's weird, and it's, it's, a, it's a weird way to think of it, but listen, 
I don't know how to explain it, but when I became a Christian, my life started going in a different direction. I was controlled by the Spirit of God. Changed forever. And now, it's another process. Look at me. Let's go back to the verse. Um, Kieran, can you put that back up there? Look at verse 18. Instead, what does it say, class? Be filled with the Spirit. What does that mean? That means it's a continual filling. Is that what? When you're saved by grace through faith, Jesus comes to live inside of you. He takes up residence. Remember? Remember the analogy a couple weeks ago? You better let him into every room of your house because you can't hide things from him. He comes in and he takes over. And then what happens? Now, as a believer, he lives in me. But what? He hasn't taken KB to heaven yet. So what do I got to do? I got to live this life for him. So now I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. I'm being filled with the Spirit through his word. I take it in, I take it in, I take it in, and what does it do? It fills me. I wish I had a pitcher of water up here, right? Like I'm the vessel, and now here's the cup, and I pull, pour it into the glass. Is that what? It's to be made what? That, that, that glass looks pretty with water in it, but it's made. That water's good, man. Give it away. Give it to somebody. So God fills us so that it'll flow through me to other people. Guys, we are new creations Right? You've been made, you have a right relationship with God and others, so what do you do? What should be the effects? What did Paul say? Singing, giving thanks, and submitting to other people. We just sang, but you shouldn't just sing on Wednesday nights. Your life should be a song where other people see Jesus. And then he says you should be giving thanks. Have you thanked him today? Have you thanked him that you woke up? Have you thanked him that there was a teacher waiting in your room when you got there? Have you thanked him that you ate today? Have you thanked him that you showed up on a rainy night and you still had collide? Did you think KB was going to shut it down? Of course not. Okay? And have you submitted to the authority figures in your life? Guys, there's four huge words that we're going to tackle tonight. Okay? Submission, love, obedience, and service. Here's the first one. Submission is the posture of Christianity. Submission is the posture of Christianity. Give you a sec to write those in. Ephesians chapter 5. Hey, bring your Bibles, man. I love when you guys bring your Bibles. Bring your Bibles and draw them, underline them, star them. Man. The end of verse 21. And further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. 22. For wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For a husband is the head of his wife, as Christ is the head of the church. He is the Savior of his body, the church. As the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. Students, this word submit, I want you to get this visual picture. Okay, Is to place oneself under something. So as a believer, right, KB's life is underneath the lordship of Jesus, underneath the word of God. So when you see submit, I want you to think, right, underneath someone who's above me. When you think about this word submit, and I know some of you girls, when you read it, you just went, whoa, wait a minute here. Submission to my husband, we're going to get there, but right, you've got to understand what submission means. 
to rightly place yourself under someone or something. And for the Christian, it's the lordship of Jesus and it's the word of God. You see, reverence for Christ is our posture. Like when you guys, you're sitting in your chair right now, you have a posture. I can tell by the way you're sitting, maybe your parents have said this, your teachers or whatever, they say, are, are, you, are you okay? Are you engaged in this? You don't look like you're really engaging in this, is right? Your posture says everything. And I've shared with you guys this before. When I pray in my closet, this is my posture. You can pray laying down, standing up, walking around Stoneville. It's a beautiful place. You should come visit. Okay? But this is how I pray. Why? This is my posture. Why? Because I want to tell God that what? No weight on KB. My posture is I'm fully submitted to you. You are my Lord. You bought me with your life. I am underneath you. And then what? When I come out of my room and I'm doing devotions with my family... I'm underneath the word of God. This is the posture of a Christian. And in this text tonight, Paul talks about what does it mean to revere him, to love him, to stand in awe of him, to want to please him and honor him. And there's three relationships in this text tonight. And the first one, girls, I know you saw it, is a little bit hard, is what? Husbands and wives, children and parents, we're going to get there, and slaves and masters. But the first one he talks about is husbands and wives. But look, girls, look at me. Here's what you got to know. Is Jesus is the head. Did you see the text? Jesus is the head of everything. He's the head of creation. He's the Lord of everything. He made you and I and everything in this world. Why? For him. He, we were made by him and for him. But he's also the head of the church. And if he's the head of the church, what does that mean? In the church, you have families. Who's the head of the family? The father, the male. He's the head, but he's not the head all by himself. He sits under the lordship of Jesus, getting his instructions through prayer and reverence for God, not holding it over his wife or the people in his family like they're there to serve him. No, no, no. Guys, you better get this quick. You are underneath the lordship of Jesus, and in a marriage relationship, Jesus is the Lord, he's the head. The husband is placed by God as the head or the leader of the household. Now look at me. He's accountable to God for that. So in my household at 321 Price Street in Stoneville, North Carolina, guess who's accountable to God for how I lead my home? Me. My wife is what? She submits to my leadership, my godly leadership, hopefully, in my home. And then the two of us as a team, Matthew and Mallory, sit underneath that. Right? But that doesn't mean I just flaunt that to Tracy like that's something that I just hold over her. No. Because KB sits here, and he's accountable to God for that. So if I lead her in a wrong way, guess who stands before God one day? I do, by myself. So guys, make sure you get this. We're going to talk about husbands and wives and all this tonight. But this is double submission. Look at me. This is the wife is submitted to the husband, but the husband is submitted to Jesus. Do you understand that? He is not some rogue, do what you want to. Remember who the letter is written to. These are families that are in Christ. Okay, so make sure that you get that. Ladies, this does not mean that you're a doormat, and this does not mean that you wait on a man for his every need. Submission does not mean that women are inferior. Submission does not mean that it's unconditional obedience by the woman. The woman should what? The wife should never be asked to do anything immoral or sinful. Does that honor God? No, if they're asked to do so, and you should not. Remember, these are believers submitted to the lordship of Jesus, 
The husband follows Jesus and the wife follows the husband. He's the head of the household. Ladies, I see a room of Jesus-loving young ladies that I love, all of you like my daughters. And you're going to be incredible wives and moms one day. But until then, look at me. You make Jesus your aim. Your Lord and Savior is Jesus Christ and not some man. Now what? Look at me. The, the leader of your home is your dad. Placed there by God. But what? You are single ladies in the church. What should you be doing? Don't waste your singleness. Jesus is your Lord and Savior. We're going to get to obedience. We're going to get to obeying your parents in just a little bit. But make sure you understand who your Lord is. Your Lord is Jesus. Do you believe that He loves you? Do you love Him? Do you trust Him? Ladies, look at me. If Jesus is not your first love, you're going to look for love in all the wrong places. If He's not your Lord and your first love, the heart wanders until it finds love. Well, stop wandering. He's already told you where it is. A man died on a cross for you over 2,000 years ago because He loves you. He's your Lord. Make Him your Lord. And girls, look at me. Submitting to Jesus is where freedom is found. Submitting to Jesus is where your freedom is found. Did y'all see yesterday on Facebook or Instagram, did you see my girl Alicia ring the Liberty Bell at Genesis Ministries yesterday? Did you see her ring the bell? You know why? Why is it there? It's a Liberty Bell. It's a freedom bell. Why? Because victory is found in Jesus. And she rang it 12 times. One for every month that she's been, what, set free from that junk in her past? Did you see her ring it with pride? But if Alicia was standing right here, you know what she'd tell you? My freedom started when Jesus became my Lord. When he got all of me, that's where my freedom started. It starts with us understanding who Jesus is and what he's done for you. And that, look at me, each of us will stand before Jesus one day. When you think about the lordship of Jesus, there should be a word that comes to your mind. And it's a word that gets negative press. But when you think about it, in biblical terms, it's beautiful. It's freeing. And it's this word fear. Write this down. Submission starts with a healthy fear of Jesus. Submission starts with a healthy fear of Jesus. Fear has two connotations. Fear is in like you're afraid of something or someone. And... It also means like reverence and awe and wonder. And here's the thing. My life changed when I had the two of those things together working for me. Jesus hung on a cross and died for me. He's Lord and Savior of the world. And three days later, he rose again. No one's ever done it. When a man walks out of a tomb and he, he, he prophesied that he was going to do it, and he's alive today and he's coming back to get me, he's my Lord. And he's what? He's God and he can do whatever he wants to to KB whenever he wants to. So if I'm being honest, there are things that I don't do in my life because I'm afraid of God. Right? But it also has a beautiful side to it. Fear and awe and wonder of what he's done. Have you ever thought about that? That he hung and died for you on a cross? All of your sins, past, present, and future. Has that ever attacked your heart where you went? That's beautiful. And do you realize that you will stand before him one day? Teenager, I think it's one of those things, man. When I was 18, here's what. KB was men. Trans Am in the wind and let's go and do whatever I want to, okay? I can hit a baseball farther than you. I can what? I can drive faster than you. I can you name it. KB tried it. 
And here's the thing. Is I didn't have a fear of God because what? I didn't have a fear of what? Life, like what, what is the word, what are the two words eternal life mean? Forever. When that landed on me, that I would spend eternity somewhere, I got humbled real quick and I said, you know what? I better get my act together because I'm not promised tomorrow. If I leave here tonight and I get in a car accident and I die, guess what? I go immediately to the presence of Jesus because he's my Lord and Savior. Students, do you have a healthy fear of Jesus? A healthy fear to go, man, he died for me. Awe and wonder and what that means. It's just a mystery. It's beautiful. I don't understand all of it. But when I get to heaven, things that are dim will become clear. Man, how beautiful is that? Guys, submission is the posture of a Christian because of what Jesus has done. We gladly submit to his lordship. Why? Because he loves us. Number two, write this down. Love is the foundation of Christianity. Love is the foundation of Christianity. Track with me. We've got eight or nine verses to go through. 25. Girls, I know you were wondering, when's the husband stuff come? Here we go. For husbands, this means love your wife just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without a spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. No one hates his own body, but feeds and cares for it, just as Christ cares for the church. And we are members of his body. As the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united in one. This is a great mystery, but it is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. So again I say, each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Man, love is all over this course of scripture right here, right? We, first we read about submission and what that means. That's just not given to the, to the ladies, right, to the wives. No, submission is to every Christian. We submit to Jesus, and now Paul gets to love. Where do we get this concept of love from? From God. He is love. The most famous verse that you all probably memorized when you were a child is what? John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only one and begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have what? Eternal life. But look at me, students. Love is more than a feeling. Love is more than a song, and love is more than something that you get at a Hallmark card. Love is action. Agape love is sacrificial, and it's servant-minded, and it's unconditional. You, you guys on the Baltimore team, you'll see that this summer. You should see that every single day. But when you go to Baltimore, you go to a place called the Agape House. And when you hear the story of how that place started, it's going to blow your mind about what agape love looks like. And that place is founded on the lordship of Jesus. And it'll change, because of that place, it's changed my understanding of agape love. But where do we find it in Scripture? The cross. It's the greatest display of this. Unconditional, servant-minded, sacrificial love. Jesus dies for all of us. Now look, ladies. It talks about submission three times. Guys, look at me. In this set of verses, it talks about love six times. Do you, is God trying to say something to you here? I think so. Double the amount of times. Guys, we are called to love our wives, and I know most of you in here are not married. But look at me. Most of you will one day, and I want to prepare you well. 
This is not something that you should take lightly. Don't zone out and go, man, that's in 10 years, maybe when I get married. No, you need to prepare now. God wants you to be a godly young man right now. Look around the world. A lot of the problems in our world is from a lack of what? Godly men leading their families like Jesus. A young lady that I've been connected with for a while, she texted me the other night. She said, KB, can we talk? We played phone tag for a couple days, and then we finally caught up on um, Monday night. She lives in South Florida. She's a, a really good athlete, Division I athlete, lives down there. She's from Eden, but kind of got out of Eden, man, for a fresh start. I love her, and I love her heart. And we were talking, and she just said, hey, I just need some advice. Can we talk? Of course. Um, so I had, had some time on the road. I was driving. Perfect time for me just to, to talk and pour into her. And uh, one of the things that she wanted to talk about was she was struggling with this concept of agape love. Through things in her past, she didn't feel like she was worthy of that type of love. And then it kind of led to a conversation of um, some difficult things in some dating relationships. And then she said, well, let me tell you about the guy that I'm talking to now. And I could hear it in her voice, man. There was just something, this, this change in her. And she was like, and he loves Jesus, and we're in church together, and we're serving together. And it's just different. And I said to her, I said, do you not see God screaming at you that you are worthy of that type of love? Look all throughout the scriptures and the stories of women in the Bible is that you are worthy of that love. Don't settle for any other love than agape love, young ladies. This is the love that God has for you. And man, I pray that that encouraged her and I sent her a text the next day. And she said that it did. But here's the thing is she has somehow Satan had lied to her to say, you know what? You're not worthy of that. No, you are worthy of that type of love. Agape love from Jesus. Girls, do you have your list started? You know what I mean when I say list. You better start making your list for what you want in a godly husband. Look at me. Because Satan's going to make sure he fills your list with all the wrong things. Where's Haley? Haley, you here? Haley, Haley Joyce in the back. I, would, I didn't know if she'd be here. Hey, sometimes when it rains, KB's not praying for your ball games to get rained out, but I love when you're here, okay? No softball and baseball. Haley's in the house. My girls are here. Praise God. My son's here. In this room... Two weekends ago, at the weekend, there was a dating breakout for girls. And Haley Joyce sat right there in the front row. And she posted a picture. And she came and showed it to me. KB, this is my list for what I want in a husband. Praise be to God. You should have a list. And girls, if it doesn't start with Jesus, you better rip it up and start again. Okay? You better be making your list because Satan's going to make sure he puts some stuff on there. Start with Jesus. Students, look at me. Males and females, do not waste your singleness. What does it mean when you're single? More time for you and Jesus. Man, if I had a dollar for as many times as I've told that to students and, and young people over the years, man, I'd be a rich man. Stop dating just for status at school. If you're not mature enough, you should not be dating. And this is a family decision in your home. Look at me. Guess where this starts in my home? with me, and my two children are in here, and they know that. And if they're upset with me for bringing it up, well, guess what? We'll hash it out at home. But they see underneath all of it that it's what? The headship of daddy at home, underneath the lordship of Jesus, 
that what? We make those decisions as a family at home when and if my children date. But it starts with Jesus. I'm the husband and the leader, and with my wife by my side, we make family decisions that are best for my children. So you might need to have that conversation with your parents at home. But when you get married, here's what you get. What are Tracy and I? We're a team. In three weeks, I'll marry Scotland McDowell and Jalen, her fiancé. Right, you guys love Christina and Scott. Um, they had a problem at home tonight. They couldn't be here. Right? But Scotland's been like a daughter to me for a long time. And man, it blessed my heart when she came to me and said, KB, will you marry Jalen and I? Yes. Every two weeks, we meet at a coffee shop in Madison, North Carolina, and we go through an hour and a half of premarital counseling. And here's one of the first things I told Scotland and Jalen, is when you get married, your ministry doubles. The two become one, but you actually become one, and it's three becoming one. Scotland, Jalen, and Jesus. Your ministry doubles and triples. And guys, look at me. This text tells you that you are called to love and to lead and to provide. Guys, let me let you in on a little secret that's going to save you a lot of time and money, right? She doesn't care how big your truck is. She doesn't care how much you can bench press. She doesn't care how much money you make. She doesn't care how many followers you have on social media. Look at me. Guys, look at me. The most attractive thing to a young lady is a young man following Jesus. Okay? So stop wasting your money and your time on all this other stuff. Look at me. Trucks rust and die. Look at me. <laughs> you threw me off. Man, the next one was good too because it involves my wife. Guess what my next one said? Muscles fade, ask my wife. Okay? <laughs> All right, bring it back in. Jesus, take the wheel. Okay. Money left in the hands of sinful humans will vanish. Followers and fans that you had in high school, they'll fade. What's the one thing that remains always? Jesus. His word, Jesus. Guys, as you date, when you're ready to date, you are called as Christians to date differently. Look at me. Christian dating is preparation for marriage. If I had another dollar for as many teenagers as I told this to, Trey, we'd be rich, man. <laughs> if you're dating just to date, stop. Be friends. When you put a label on something, it complicates and changes things completely. When you're ready to date, that needs to be a decision on your knees with God and your family. But until then, Christian dating is preparation for marriage. And when it's time for marriage, guys, look at me. You're called to lead and love. Write this down. Husbands are called to be the loving leader and the leading lover. Husbands are called to be the loving leader and the leading lover. In my home, my home better be led with love. I may be the leader and that lordship is placed underneath Jesus, but it's given to me by him. But if I'm not leading them in a loving way, guess what? They're going to look for it. And look at the second one. I better be the leading lover. You've heard me say this before. Okay. As a father of a freshman young lady in high school. If my daughter doesn't understand what agape, unconditional love is. If she doesn't understand it from her father. Her heart will look for it in all the wrong places. She better get it at home from me. Guys, 
when you're a husband and you're a dad, you better be the loving leader and the leading lover. Next one, obedience is the call of Christianity. Man, KB's fired up. I better land this plane quickly. Obedience is the call of Christianity. Chapter 6, verse 1. Children, obey your parents because you belong to the Lord, for this is the right thing to do. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. If you honor your father and mother, things will go well for you, and you will have a long life on the earth. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Rather, bring them up with the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. Praise God. Students, remember that this was a letter addressed to a church's. Paul's writing this chain to a Roman guard. He's writing it to a church that he loves. It would have been read in that area of Asia Minor where Ephesus was. But here's the cool thing. Before I started studying this text, it never landed on me that when Paul says, Children, obey your parents and the Lord, who would have been sitting there listening to this? Children and teenagers. Sometimes it takes a little while for KB to figure these things out. But man... He knew that there would be children there. And there's two commands, to obey and to honor. Why? Underline them. They're right there in the text. They're right there on your outline. Number one, it's the right thing to do. You should always obey your parents because you're obeying the Lord. It's the right thing to do. And number two, it brings blessing and long life. I don't know how that shapes out. Don't send me an email. I'm not sure. But it starts in the Old Testament and it goes to the New Testament as what? Blessing and favor and long life. Does that mean some people, when their children, go home to be with the Lord early? Yes, sometimes. But, there, man, in Scripture, there's just something where God says, Obey and show honor. And what? It's the right thing to do, and you'll be blessed because of it. Students, when you obey your parents, you are obeying the Lord. Now, honor is a little bit of a different one, one you got to kind of get underneath the surface. Honor is this internal attitude of respect and courtesy and reverence, and it's accompanied by what? Obedience. It should be action. When you honor your parents, when they tell you to do something, and you then, hopefully, look at me, students, take out the trash, make your bed, okay, do all that different stuff. If they ask you to do it, do it. But it's what? I honor and what? They are my parents. Remember who your parents sit underneath? Jesus, as Lord, you are to what? Honor and obey them. Because that's what God asks you to do. God is the ultimate authority over everything. When you think about our, our social structure, the way God has made things, there's four authority structures in our life, right? Ordained by God. Number one, Jesus in the church is number one. Number two is the government. Number three is family. And number four, work. Can I tell you a time when this didn't go well for me in high school? You'll thank me later. The leaders are like, come on, KB, we got to get the group. I was in high school. I wanted to go to a party. Chalk this one up, okay? Write down, don't do what KB did, okay? Wanted to go to a party. You know, captain of the football team, if you don't show up at the party, something's wrong with you, right? That's a lie from Satan. And so I sneak out of my house, out of a window. Buddy picks me up down the street. I go to a party. Yes, your pastor who stands before you, okay? I go to the party. About an hour later, I feel this hand on my shoulder. <laughs> it was my dad. Okay. He didn't say a word. 
He didn't have to. He didn't say a word. I turned around. I got in that car. I went back home. We never talked about it the rest of the night. We talked about it later, right? And I lost some privileges and all of that. But what did I do? I disobeyed my parents and I dishonored God. When you think about your life, students, are you obeying your parents? Obedience comes down to trust, right? Look at me. Do you trust that God loves you? Yes? Do you trust that he's always working for your good? Do you trust that he will never leave you nor forsake you? Then obey the authority figures in your life, especially your parents. He's not withholding something from you. What was underneath the no from my parents about going to the party? My safety. Don't do that. Why? This just played out last week with Matthew. My children love me when they get used in sermon illustrations. Okay, Matthew, my son, is the most incredible young man on the planet. I love him with all my heart. What an incredible blessing it's been to raise him. He's always made good choices with his car and his time and all that different stuff. He wanted to go to a ball game the other night. It was about an hour away. And Tracy and I talked in the living room, and it was later on at night, and we didn't want him driving. So I looked him in the eye, and I said, I don't want you to go to the game. And he looked at me, and he said, okay. He's talking to his friend on the phone. And he says, I can't go to the game, but can we go to the Rockingham game? It's right down the road. And the friend said, yes. Changed his plans completely, but what did he do? He obeyed and honored his dad. And when he did that, he obeyed and honored his, dad, his father in heaven. Praise be to God. I love you, Matthew. Number three, obedience flows from a heart that trusts God. Obedience flows from a heart that trusts God. Last one. Service is the heart of Christianity. I got to get you guys to group. I got two minutes. Ready? Can I read these verses in two minutes? Ready? Verse five. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with deep respect and fear. Serve them sincerely as you would serve Christ. Try to please them all the time, not just when they are watching you. As slaves of Christ, underline that, students. Paul writes this over 2,000 years ago. But man, KB is a slave for Christ. Do the will of God with all your heart. Work with enthusiasm, as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Remember that the Lord will reward each one of you for us for the good we do, whether we are slaves or free. Masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Don't threaten them. Remember, you both have the same master in heaven, and he has no favorites. Students, when you go and you study scripture, here's one of the things they teach you. Basic hermeneutics is this. Context is everything. In the context of when Paul is writing this, there were some 60 million slaves in the Roman Empire during that time. Just a different culture and a different time. But look at me. Slavery is wrong all the time, all day, every day. It is completely against what the gospel stands for. But in this context, Paul's writing to believers that had been changed by the grace of God. So they might have had slaves. And the slaves might have come to faith in Christ too. So where might they have been? The slaves might have been right there in the church worship service. Praise be to God. But notice how Paul gets right to the heart of the matter. What's the heart of the matter? Who's your master? Jesus. 
And what does he say? Look at it. Underline it. He says Jesus' name five different times. Verse 5, serve them as you would Christ. Verse 6, as slaves of Christ. Verse 7, working for the Lord. Verse 8, the Lord rewards people. And verse 9, your master in heaven. And we know who that is. That's Jesus. Students, is Jesus your master? Is he your Lord? We can equate this to work and service in the kingdom. Work and service, you guys have jobs, you're working, you're doing different things, and you're serving. Here's a quick analogy to walk through before you go to small groups. Work and serve through Christ, work and serve like Christ, and work and serve for Christ. A simple way to think about your work and your service in this world. You do not work and serve alone. Christ is in you, remember? So the work he does is through you, through the Holy Spirit. Number two, you work and serve like Christ. There's no one like him. Ask yourself this question. Would Jesus do that at my workplace? Would Jesus say that? If the answer is no, you better run. And lastly, work and serve for Christ. Students were called to be servant leaders. What a beautiful, glorious text tonight that talks about four huge things. Man, what? Submission, love, obedience, and service, they are marks of a Christian who's been changed by the grace of God. Let's go to small group and chop it up. Father, we love you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for Paul. Man, I think about his life changed by the grace of God. You, you saved him. You changed him. You've, man, you've completely wrecked his life. And now we read his words and how beautiful they are from a heart that's been changed. And then he what? He submits to your lordship. He remains obedient to the call and writes these incredible letters from prison and we're still benefiting from there today. He served you and loved you. Father, a lot of these relationships, when we think about it's tough conversations tonight, wives and husbands and children and parents and slaves and masters, but all of it comes down to one thing, Jesus, you are Lord, you are the head, you are the leader. And we are to position ourselves rightly underneath.